0: Hi, and welcome to Prosecco and the ponderings of a politicized penis. Now, I don't know where you're listening to us from. Maybe it's first thing in the morning and you're listening to us to wake up. So good morning, get out of bed and get your arse in gear. Or maybe you're quite drunk on the way home for a good night out. Excellent choice to listen to us there. Maybe you're giving birth. That would be an interesting choice to choose this podcast, but go with it and call uh, your child either Percy or Dante, I would recommend. Or most likely, you're probably just coming home from a grinder hookup that was not worth it. I'm sorry, but you probably knew that before you went anyway. Welcome. I'm here with Percy, the man who has more hairspray in his hair than all of Cher's wigs together. And I am
1: here with Dante, a man that resembles. Danny DeVito in an uncanny fashion <laughs> <laughs> and yes let's start with an old classic Dante where we have a mystery minute as we like to call it yay! Where, yay where I will give you a topic and you will just ponder on it for like a minute and I will time it so you don't overindulge us with your voice as you usually do <laughs> and we have a little bit of fun with it the topic I chose for you It's it's going to be very interesting. I want to know if you think that vegetarians are basically just weak vegans. So basically pussy vegans. Pussy vegans. Well, yes, I think I do. Yes, then your time. I will start now. Okay, so I think
0: that yes, uh, vegetarians are just weak vegans. Because why are you vegetarian? There are... i just gonna say three different reasons, and all of them would be better if you were actually vegan. So, reason one is you love the animals. Well, if you love the animals, you shouldn't be drinking milk or eating eggs either, because that also kills off mostly uh, the male population of that species, So, um, because of the whole industrial complex. So, you should be vegan. If you're a vegetarian for environmental reasons, you should be vegan. Um, And the third reason you could be vegetarian is that you just don't like the taste of meat. And to be fair, then you don't really need to be vegan. Um, But meat tastes really good. So I don't think there are many people who just don't like meat. I guess there probably are actually quite a lot of people. (laughs) But um, I think that, yes, I was also myself vegetarian for many years and felt very bad for uh, not being vegan. But now I'm flexitarian, which means I just eat whatever I like and pretend that I have a predominantly vegan lifestyle.
1: You're not only a pussy vegan, you're a pussy vegetarian because that is what a flexitarian is. Oh, but
0: yes. yeah, yes, yes. Yeah, I know. Um, we should really talk about this in more depth. Like I think a mystery minute is good to get my insight, but I think maybe we should talk about this more.
1: Yeah, that uh, could actually be a topic for a full podcast or at least like half of it.
0: I don't want to talk about it now, though, because I want to do my homework first. I want to actually know a little bit of statistics about that. So can we table that? Lovely mystery minute. Thank you very much, Percy.
1: Yes, we can table that, because I actually already have another idea, something we could talk about.
0: Okay. Quite
1: dominant today, all the ideas. (laughs) (laughs) My idea was, um, as part of the queer culture, (laughs) and there's no nice segue from shaming vegans oh there is about shaming anyway um as part of the queer culture what i don't like is the cliche of no fats no femmes, no asians no it, no you're it's quite not, right it's racist it. it's uh it's,
0: it's sexist um it's uh it body shames people it shames people yeah, for exactly
1: exactly that's the point that i want to talk about I have a brief chat about it um let's yeah, let's table two of those because it's otherwise way too too big a topic. So as I'm talking to you, let's let's go with the, uh no fats. Oh
0: that's so mean! You've literally just started a topic of a, like a segment on body shaming by body shaming the fat person. <laughs> Listeners, please write in and shame Percy. Shame him, big style, and not big style in the size of my body style, okay, it
1: fine. was a joke,
0: not a dig don't mm-hmm. take it so hard. it was a dick, not a dig um, no, i'm kidding, um actually, this is something that Percy and I speak about uh, quite a lot off uh off camera as it were or off mic because uh during corona the last few months i've actually uh been really trying to lose weight. So I'm actually now a lot thinner than I was uh, when Corona started. Um, but it means that I, I do feel shamed. And I honestly, I notice that when I've been on Grindr, out in small cities or whatever, people are much friendlier than they are in the big cities. Because in the big cities, somehow, there's so much choice and so people categorize you. So they can say no fats, no femmes, no Asians, blah, blah, blah. Whatever, right? But this whole idea of no fats, I get it, someone who's super overweight is just not quite as sexy. But I am so much more than my body shape. And for a random hookup, I kind of get it, but people shame people for their body sizes, even when they're perfectly normal. I mean, now I've so internalized this um, that I would say that I look at myself in the mirror and I, I do feel shamed. I've, I, I even shame myself. I've internalized this of other people. And I've lost a lot of weight now. It wasn't like I was... Yeah.
1: before either, but... that's, that's definitely a thing. That's definitely a part where when it really becomes body shaming, it just... It's so harmful on so many levels. Not, not just in queer culture, just like the idea of body shaming. People internalize it and <laughs> carry it around with them. But, no pun intended <laughs> Yeah,
0: but at the same time, I also participate in this by I don't say no fatties, please, but you see someone on an app or in real life, and they're a bit tubby and you're like, eh, I'd rather someone else." Although actually, to be fair that's not true. I do that on apps. I'm like, "Ugh, bit fat, no, swipe left. But in real life, if I'm having a conversation with someone, the first thing I'm not is like pull your T-shirt up. I want to see what's underneath there. Um, I'm not having a conversation. And if the person's a little bit, little, like bearing a little bit more, um, I I really don't care. I mean, that's really not the basis.
1: Yeah. I think that's the problem with, with apps or like the online part of that community, because overall it's a type. And if you're not into people with a lot more weight, that is okay that is your type the same if you don't like like super thin bony people also that is a type and completely okay the problem is that with an app and just like you put in the max kilogram that the other person is allowed to have
0: yeah
1: it's just it gets very problematic because the moment you actually draw a red line it starts to be shameful and mean-spirited sometimes. I guess the thing is though,
0: it's not just about drawing that red line, right? It's about communicating that. So I think people are okay to have taste, right? Like there are some people I find more attractive than others and our tastes are not always the same. Actually our tastes very often diverge and that's okay. But it's then to then say, gross, you're old, gross, you're fat, gross, you're Asian that's not okay.
1: Yeah I completely agree it's yeah it's the communication and where you draw that line and yeah I do get the point that you just had about in a big city when you have a lot of choice you it's more easy to to fall into those kind of traps where you're like it's okay because I still have like 500 people on my list even if I say a max of that and that weight or no femmes, no I mean, it's not just the apps though.
0: I mean, there is definitely, it, because then it would be the same with heterosexual people as well. And I do think the queer culture has something about it. There is something to be said that, I mean, <laughs> I don't know, it, a lot of, <clears throat> obviously a lot of people go to the gym and are in shape and stuff, but I do think there is a, more of a, um, more of an emphasis put on that within queer culture of looking after yourself of doing the face routines with the skin care and going to the gym. And it's, I mean, it's all a little bit superficial. It's also healthy. I mean, it's good for your skin, it's good for your body, et cetera. But there is something, there is something yeah, superficial um, about that. And that's not just online. It's if you go to a gay bar, which I don't very often, but if you do, there, there is a lot more sort of of this emphasis on a very specific body type, which is buff basically.
1: There is that shallowness. And again, then there, there, there comes that shaming in place, especially in bars, as a way you just see those looks like, you no, know, like you clearly haven't spent five days in a gym each week for the last six months, so please just go away.
0: Exactly. It's like the, the offline swipe left. <laughs> it you is. You see yeah. someone, they look at you, they do the sort of the look down, the look up, and they, they literally with their heads sort of do the swipe left. (laughs)
1: super drama queen just like nope exactly oh dear yeah well that's um, what dark rooms were invented for uh,
0: oh i've never been to a dark room have you been to a dark room no i have not although what my favorite place um (laughs) i lived in london for a while i think i maybe said that on the podcast previously but um Maybe I didn't. Who knows? I don't remember. But um, uh, one of my favorite places to hang out in London was this really creepy old gay bar, which was <laughs> it was close to King's Cross, if, uh, if you know London, uh, any of our listeners. And it, they had these drag shows three or four nights a week. And what was great, though, was because it was like just old gay guys plus me and all my friends and we're all like 20 22 24 and drag queens always focused on us so it was great we're the center of attention but whenever the show was over the dark room underneath the pub would open and it'd like empty (laughs) and all these old men would go downstairs and so my picture of a dark room is forever associated with that (laughs) it's just full of people who are like
1: five times my age yeah um but that is good that um you talk about ageism and shaming the old <laughs> after we just talked about shaming the fatties. Well, but,
0: but this is the thing, though, right? It's like racism. And the, I mean, we're hearing about this a lot in the media, right? It's not just personal. It's also systemic. <laughs> Which doesn't mean that I'm not ageist. But it also means... I mean, says the guy who wouldn't sort of have sex with someone who's older than 12. Um, Come Come no. on. That's a bit of a...
1: You have to turn around the
0: numbers. (laughs) Okay, that's that's pretty accurate. That's pretty accurate. And dear listeners, Percy is in a committed relationship Mm -hmm. uh, with someone who is now 22. Shocker! Shocker. I told Percy earlier that I wanted to talk about a certain topic. Things that pass. Infatuations with political stars as it were and I wanted to talk about this because I was reading a newspaper article a couple of days ago about Aung San Suu Kyi and I remember the first time I heard about her um just for anyone who doesn't know who she is Aung San Suu Kyi is was this amazing woman her, her dad uh, General Aung San uh, fought for independence for Myanmar formerly known as Burma um and then he was assassinated and there's been a military dictatorship for decades and decades and decades. And she was the democratic star um, of the 1980s. And then she was like really in the 80, like 88, there's a bit of a sort of revolutionary kind of thing. And she was like pushing for it. And then she was put in under house arrest from 1989. Um, until 2010, she was in house arrest for over 20 years and she got the Nobel peace prize for her fight for democracy in 1991. And I remember the first time I went, uh, to Myanmar, like everywhere, there were these t-shirts with her face on it. And I was just like, yeah, I want one of those t-shirts. And I actually saw her, like after she was released from house arrest in 2010, the first trip she did was to the UK where she also lived for a while. When she was a lot younger. And I was able to see her. It was her first public engagement since she was released. I saw her speak and it was just so inspirational. I mean, I was just like deeply in love.
1: Completely fangirling. I
0: was so fangirling. Um, And yet, fast forward to now, uh, from uh, 2015, there were riots against the Muslim minority, the Rohingya. And then uh, a couple of years later, like a full-on genocide. Um, and she's not spoken out against it. In fact, and this is the article I was reading recently, she, she's she been at the uh, uh, International, I think it's the International Criminal Court. I feel I should know this. Well, the International Criminal, International Court of Justice. One of the international uh, criminal justice bodies uh, defending the country. And so she's now this pariah in the state. Like everyone was like, yeah, we love her because she came into, she, Won like in a landslide election, uh, the elections uh in 2016. And so she still has the military as part of her government, that was kind of the stipulation. But she's but she's like allowed genocide to happen, and I'm devastated because I was just like, come out and speak against it. Uh, but the genocide is really popular back home, so she doesn't. Um, and so I was just like, so upset. Wow, that was a really long monologue, but you can see this is how passionate I am. <laughs> it's just such like a like a fall from grace
1: yeah that's the thing with fallen idols right not only politically like whenever you adore someone i mean just think about all the me too revelations how many people were just just sh- shattered cuz like their favorite star turned out to be a disgusting human being um yeah so, so i get your passion for it yeah. Um, yeah when i when i think about that, when i think of Politically speaking, uh, thinking about someone who likes the European Union as a concept, as, a, as something that tries to fight for peace in a war-ridden continent, um, I had high, high hopes for Emmanuel Macron when he, in 2017, became the president of France um, because he had this pro-European message and working together and very liberal message and yeah now three years later i feel that he didn't do a lot in europe and everything he was liberal about was economically so not really the progress that i anticipated um i'm not as passionate about it as as you are as the issue was just on a on a smaller scale i feel and i didn't have that personal contact but um no genocide yet yeah no no genocide yet. well (laughs) tell that to the people wearing yellow vests but no but i think it, it it's the same same direction of just yeah being disappointed
0: yeah yeah it's 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 really unfortunate i mean that i don't know i I mean, with Macron, he's had a very short time in power, right? So, I mean, he's he has definitely disappointed actively. I think lots of people think of like Angela Merkel. I mean, she's been in power for so much longer um, and so many people are disappointed with her, but I think she's done quite a lot she's managed a lot of weathered a lot of crises, as it were, but still loads of people are disappointed with her. But that's, I think, more sort of a, a being in power too long thing rather than sort of an active disappointment. Yeah, I don't know. It makes it really difficult to talk about people, though, because, I mean, I still think that Aung San Suu Kyi is an icon of fighting for democracy. She's still an icon. But does she discredit herself completely by condoning genocide? I mean, you kind of do, right? I mean, genocide is a kind of like a, it's
1: non-negotiable. Yes, but that is a question which is so, so difficult to answer because. Like, can we discredit the things that Picasso did for art just because he was a misogynist, rapist, pedophile asshole?
0: Well, I mean, but this is the whole question of um, hashtag Me Too, right? It's the whole idea. Is like, can you still, um, I mean, firstly, you still work with artists who have this um, and say, well, this is just their art. Uh, and it's separate from their personal lives, but also can one still sort of s- celebrate their previous works? I think I'd probably say you, you should no longer necessarily work with them because I mean, mm, it, that's an active decision to support the art of certain people, to support the careers of certain people who have discredited themselves. So I think that's legit. Um, but they were also discrediting themselves just unseen the uh, previously. Um, I think it's difficult.
1: It is. Because, yeah, she did. Going back to your example, she did a lot of good work, but not speaking out against genocide is. Yeah, that definitely crossed the red line. (laughs) Because, yeah. yeah. She still did the good things years ago, but. That's still there. What makes
0: it even more difficult, I would say, and (laughs) if we're talking about too much about me and my domestic politics stop me, but uh, you can tell I'm quite passionate about this topic. But the thing is that she basically, because the military is, is she didn't commit the genocide. She didn't, I'm pretty sure she wasn't the person instructing it because the military still has so much power, but she didn't use her symbolic weight to speak out against it because she knew that she couldn't stop it. And she knew that it was politically um, favorable and it's very popular within the population. So she made a calculation that it would just be symbolic, so she wouldn't stand up for it. And somehow I get that calculation. Somehow I think, yeah, okay, you, she's there's more good that she can still do, and she can't stop anyway. But also, that's like the worst mentality. You you have to stand up in the face of evil and, yeah. and be the person speaking out and trying to change the conversations. I mean, if you think back to the Holocaust, like not saying anything um, is just as bad as uh, what was it? Like I think Edmund Burke said, "The way I don't know, it's a kind of a bit different." But like looking, looking away—I oh, can't remember the same. <laughs> but there's something about like if you look away, you're just as culpable as if you were no. it yourself.
1: Um, it wasn't. If, Burke. <laughs> if you don't speak up in the face of injustice, you've chosen the sight of the oppressor.
0: Yeah, who said that?
1: Uh, Ruth Bader Ginsburg.
0: Oh, love her. Oh my God. We could have done a whole episode on her dying and the shit show that she's created through that. But I think that our time is probably coming to an end. Um, but before we leave, we have audience questions. Um, oh, I saw
1: that the mailbag ba- was full. So.
0: so full. I felt like Santa Claus. Um, But in a sort of... Then
1: give me your presence. Less bearded way.
0: Now, Isabella from Croydon was so happy from when uh, she uh, wrote in two weeks ago, or two episodes ago, um, that she has sent us another question. Let's open it up. Isabella from Croydon wants to know what Percy and Dante, that's me, uh, what our day jobs are. Wow,
1: Isabella. it's
0: a oh, I mean, that's I'm right.
1: disappointed.
0: I mean, we who's, who, oh, I'm speechless. No, um, well, we both work in very different kinds of fields um, and we both work in fields where we don't really necessarily want to be recognised. Um, and so that's why we're Dante and Percy here. Um, and we are doing this podcast for our pleasure. Also for your pleasure, Isabella from Croydon and everyone else. Um, but we're not going to tell you what our day jobs are. I think we need a little bit more trust. A little bit more, um, I can't think of anything else but trust. <laughs> so, yeah. But we don't have it yet, Isabella from Croydon.
1: De- I mean, Isabella. Do you do? Isabella you B- never ask a woman your, her age.
0: If Isabella from Croydon tells us what she does in her day job, I'll tell you what I do in mine. Let's take a different question instead. Yes. Okay. Ah, David from Ooh. Madrid. Oh, hello, David. Hello,
1: David. Went, oh, dear, that went Russian. The...
0: Oh, hello. Ooh. There's no picture attached. But David, if you write again, add a picture. Um, David wants to know. David writes, Hi, Percy and Dante. I love your podcast. Thank you so much for making it. Um, my you question to you is... Oh, that's a great intro. That really it makes is. me want
1: to answer it more than you. See the that? picture. Right. Oh.
0: Um,
1: sorry. <laughs> that really wants me to see his picture.
0: Well, that as well. Um, what is the most drunk you have ever been while having sex? Oh, that's an interesting yeah. question. Not like boring Isabella. Okay, what is the most drunk you have ever been while having sex, Percy?
1: Yeah, I, I feel like David just had a very embarrassing experience and is just asking that too. Kind of plays his own life if it's too extreme or not. I like that. Okay, we've asked Isabel um, to
0: write back with her day job. David, <laughs> when you hear this, you can write back and tell us your experience, but to sort of tempt you in, we'll tell you ours.
1: Yes, and um, my most drunk, I was <laughs> so drunk that I actually passed out during sex. Oh, Really? <laughs> like, like the full-on the view is getting, getting narrower, and everything is getting a bit black and I'm just like, oh, fuck it. I just fall asleep. No. Okay. <laughs> well, let's not fuck it. I, mean, yeah.
0: I need more details on it. So you were like sort of like standing behind him, ramming it in and then you just <laughs> keeled over? <laughs> like, what's the situation
1: here? Uh, no, I was lying in bed and uh, she was on top of me and... Yeah, it, it was just kind of comfy, and I was just so shit-faced that I, that I just pass out. So, okay, question. <laughs>
0: when you pass out, I'm guessing that yeah. little guy down there doesn't immediately pass out with you. So, like, does she just kind Probably of, not.
1: Did she just, um, She didn't tell me if she carried on the next morning. Um, but it was a very embarrassing moment when I then woke up and I was just like, oh, no, no, no more alcohol for me. That lasted a solid 22 hours. Yeah. What's your story then? Well,
0: the the embarrassment of the waking up is definitely the key to that as well. I was... Um... So I was in San Francisco for the first time and I had like a day spare and so of course I was on Grinder. um and uh chatted to this guy who had the day off work because he had like a job interview or something he's like I'll show you around town after my interview so I picked up and then we had like some brunch or whatever and like we started we had like a Mexican brunch um I started off with um frozen margaritas for brunch and it just sort of escalated from there and like we were we just went from one place to the next tourist highlight oh will have a drink here." And it was always like a picture of something. And we Classic. up in like the Castro, in this really nice bar. And I mean, I don't know how much I drank, but I was so shit-faced. And we got the cab back to his place. And we were <laughs> watching some Eddie Izzard videos. I remember that. Um, and it was so funny. And I, I, I don't know whether I'd never seen Eddie Izzard before or whether I was just so drunk that it was just like particularly amazing. Um, But then, at some point, we sort of segued from the um, the couch to uh, his bedroom, Uh, and I remember nothing. I remember absolutely nothing from that moment onward. Sort of see Eddie Izzard blank. (laughs) Then the next morning,
1: Um, probably happened to a lot of people who met him. (laughs) Yeah, well,
0: probably. But then I wake up and I turn around to this guy. I'm in, and I'm naked in another guy's bed. So I'm like. I'm guessing we had sex last night. He's like, yes, we did. So my first question being me and being uh, safe and responsible, I was like, did we protect? Because otherwise I was like, first thing, get out of bed, go to the clinic. Um, but no, he's like, yes, we protected. It's all good. And then I mean, I'm a little bit proud of this line. Also a little bit ashamed of it. But I was like, hmm, I can't remember anything about it. I think you're going to have to jog my memory. <laughs> and then we just had sex like two more times before I went for brunch and then back to my hotel. Um, yeah, that was my that was definitely the drunkest I've ever been and had sex.
1: Well, yeah, not remembering is is a solid, solid amount of being drunk. Um yeah, thank you, David, for that question. Um if anyone else has a question, just write us at our Twitter handle at Prosecco Penis. He remembered.
0: Um, he remembered our little handle. I'm I did. proud of you. I was, it took, I was just about to jump in and say at prosecco penis, but he remembered. I feel like a proud dad.
1: So not your dad. It only took me a month.
0: <laughs> yes, um,
1: but yeah, please write us, and I'm, I'm pretty sure we will answer your questions next time.
0: We will now. Join us again next episode where we will drink and digress. I'm Dante. I'm Percy. Goodbye. Bye.